Welcome to the Pause to Remember podcast. My name is Amy Pelkey. I'm a practicing CRNA yoga teacher and mother to one son here on earth and one daughter who was stillborn. If you are a healthcare provider who has experienced pregnancy or infant loss, this podcast is for you. My goal is to offer resources, conversations, and mindfulness-based grief tools to help providers like you build the courage to acknowledge and process your emotions, the strength to carry your grief, and resilience so you can preserve your career, relationships, and overall well-being while honoring the memory of your baby. I want to assure you that you are not alone in your grief. I am thankful that you are here today. Let's begin. Hello, thank you for joining us here on this next episode of the Pause to Remember podcast. My guest today is Carrie Petzinger. She earned her doctorate of physical therapy and went on to work as a physical therapist and experienced multiple losses while she was working. And she is here to share some of her journey today. And we were just chit-chatting a few minutes ago about how in the midst of your grieving, sometimes it's really hard to understand how each stage of grieving, it's almost like a dot, is going to connect to the next one. And it isn't until you have some time that's passed that you can look back and connect those dots, so to speak, and see how the story all unfolds. So she has graciously agreed to give some of her time um, to be on this podcast today and share some of her experience with grieving, how her family came to be what it is today, and also maybe talk to us a little bit about how she may have made some pivots along the way in her career and what she's doing professionally today. So Carrie, thank you. Welcome. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Great. First of all, I just want to pause to remember your babies and how precious their life is and the sadness that surrounds losing a baby and in your case, multiple babies. And that that's what brings us here today. So thank you for sharing a conversation that can be uncomfortable and just being honest about where you've been and where you are today. So thank you. Thank you. I think sometimes the nicest place to start is to talk a little bit about life prior to your first pregnancy, and then just let things flow from there. That sounds good. So I live in Minnesota, my husband and I do, and life pre, you know, pre baby troubles started out as me going to physical therapy school, like you mentioned, got my DPT degree, um, started out working full time and was enjoying my career and planned to, we, you know, my husband and I, like many young couples had dreams of having a family. And we, we said, man, we want to, we'd like to be married about two years and then start trying to have a family. So that's what that looked like is a couple of years of, of being married, doing a little traveling. And then when we were married for about two years, I found out I was pregnant. And I, I remember feeling like, man, life really couldn't get any better. I, I specifically remember turning to him one day in the car when we were driving and saying, Brett, life could not get any better. And it's like, I remember that so vividly because that was the last time that I really felt like life was going to come easily to us. Because after that was when we started um, having a lot of troubles with babies. Wow. 
it's interesting that you have that moment so clearly in your mind and how as we're going along, different moments really shine through some of the other uncomfortable moments. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk about that first pregnancy and start there? Sure. So, you know, after we'd been married a couple of years, I found out I was pregnant. Um, yeah. And we were, we were so excited. I remember picking out a name for the baby. We told all our friends and family, we we're going to have a baby. We bought, brought, bought a crib and Brett set that up and we decorated the nursery and that, you know, it was just a short time later that I had a miscarriage and I was very shocked. I was, I was super surprised. And then after that, not long after that, I had another miscarriage and, and pretty soon we found ourselves, you know, in a, in a world full of a ton of um, doctor appointments and procedures and you know, medications and all kinds of things related to infertility and pregnancy loss and tests and and all those things. And in spite of having a wonderful medical team and and great supportive group of friends and family, I lost another baby and then another baby and then another baby and another baby and another baby. So it was a total for me, it was a total of seven pregnancy losses over, you know, over, over a number of years, it was very, it was very much a roller coaster, and it was, it was extremely difficult. While you were going through those losses, did you continue to work full-time through that period? I did. Yes, I did. And, and I remember that I remember it being a challenge because I was, draining, you know, my PTO balance. I I was draining it, going to different appointments related to trying to have a baby. And I I remember at the peak of it, I had 17 appointments in one month related to trying to have a baby. And when, you know, I was, I live in a small town and the town that I work in was like where, where I worked was about 55 minutes from where I was going to be treated. So I would try to take their early, you know, the, the 7am, the clinic, the infertility place open at 7am. So I would try to go, you know, to reproductive endocrinology at like seven, move around a couple of my patients, be back to see them and then take another appointment, you know, at the end of the day, if I needed to go see hematology or anyone else, it would try to, I would try to kind of bookend my days with appointments, but that in and of itself was a challenge trying to um, get to the different places and then navigate my career too, as, as you're giving, you know, you're really in physical therapy and working one-on-one with patients all day long. And you're continually in that mode where you are serving others. You're, you're one-on-one with clients all day long, helping them and treating them. And I think it's hard for a lot of healthcare providers when, when you're in that mode of like serving and helping and caregiving and those types of things, I think it makes it challenging then to say, whoa, I need to take some time to really make sure that I'm taking care of myself. Definitely refill your own cup, so to speak. Yes. And I found that to be a a difficult thing for me, for sure. Sure. Did you ever get to a point where you thought about cutting back your hours or was that just not really an option for you? I did not. And actually at that point in time, my benefits, um, cause I actually, I had some interest in the, at that time of starting my own private practice or doing some different, you know, kind of different entrepreneurial things related to physical therapy. But 
I actually, my specific benefits through that job covered IVIG treatments. And it was the only, that, that insurance, that specific insurance plan at that specific company was the only insurance plan in the region that would cover those. So I felt, and, and at that time, hematology was recommending that I had IVIG treatments once a month, anytime I was pregnant. And if I would have paid out of pocket, it would have been like $11,000 per treatment. So 11,000 a month. So I thought, well, I, I got to stay at this job um, until I figure out what my plan is related to parenting and, and building a family. I need, this is the benefit that I need. Plus there were a lot of, there were a lot of things I enjoyed about the job too, but I specifically remember the benefits related to infertility being good and really feeling like I need to stay here until I know what I'm going to do. That makes a lot of sense. While mm -hmm. you were going through those losses, did you find, did you work with a therapist? Did you have any kind of professional mental health support or emotional support that you tapped into, whether it was a therapist, a minister, that sort of thing? Yes, I did. And I resisted it. I, I, I resisted it initially. And it, I remember at being at the point where, you know, th this is after three miscarriages. I remember being at the point where I would, you know, go to work, see all my patients, you know, try to try to hold it together during the day. And I felt like I did a good job of, of holding myself together during the day, but it was late at night, you know, after Brett was asleep, after everything was, you know, when I should be sleeping late at night that my mind would just start to think. And I would just, I felt like I would do all that grieving and really thinking about things really, really late at night. So I remember just feeling really exhausted. And I think part of it was, you know, the hormone emotional roller coaster plus the grieving. And then there was a lack of sleep. And I remember one day on my lunch break at, at work, I went upstairs to talk to my primary care physician who I had worked with, you know, for a number of years. And I just knocked on her door and she was sitting there doing notes. And I just remember, I just walked in, I started crying and even thinking about it now. And I said, I can't sleep. I said, I, I feel like, you know, I'm going through the days and and treating my patients. And at night, I just, I can't sleep and I, I can't function like this. I, I'm, I'm stuck in this grief cycle. And she said, you know, she said, I've never had a patient who had three or more pregnancy losses that I haven't referred to counseling. And she said, I want you, she goes, I, I'm actually going to give you some Ambien for a little while. I want you to be able to just get some sleep. And she said, but I want you to go and talk to the psychologist within, you know, our, our clinic. And I was like, eh, I don't know, you know, and, and my, my thought was like, well, does anyone really understand what this feels like? And, uh, you know, I was kind of like, well, I'll go, but I'm not going to really talk. <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not really going to say anything. <laughs> we'll just see what um, they have to say about this. Yep. Yep. I'm not really going to open up because they're not going to get it. That was my thought was, no, I, I, okay. Like I'll, I'll go, I'll, you know, be nice and everything, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not really going to get anything out of it. And I remember I went and sat down for my first appointment with him and I probably left 10 pounds lighter of snot and tears. I mean, I left with a big ball of Kleenex and I just sat down and I looked at him and it was just like, it all came out. I just bald. And, and I ended up going nine times total and found that it was, for me, it was so helpful to have somebody to, somebody to, to talk to and to vent to, and to just, you know, get everything out that 
didn't know me as well and didn't feel, you know, like my friends and family were wonderful, but it was almost like they were on the roller coaster with me, right? Where, where, and I, I just needed to talk through it and feel like I could get it all out without feeling like, oh, now, now this person feels like they have to comfort me and this and this, you know, it just, I found that to be a really helpful thing. I did as well when I went to, I think also too, sometimes when you are paying a professional who has an expertise in dealing with tough emotions, there is that sense of safety that you can say some things that are really unthinkable sometimes. And that Mm -hmm. safe space of being able to literally say anything without judgment and knowing that the person receiving that information on the other end will have something supportive or even be able just simply to hold some space for you so that you can feel comfortable saying those uncomfortable things. Yes. That's a really good point. Yes, definitely. I agree. Yes. And I think that that's a big difference between really supportive friends and family and seeing a professional that we don't always acknowledge. Yep. I've never thought about it like that, but that totally makes sense. Yeah. At the point that you had gone through your seventh miscarriage, I feel like there was a turning point for you and your husband. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So my miscarriages, they were, they were due to multiple things. I, I lost two due to Turner syndrome. I had an ectopic pregnancy and then there were some some kind of early, earlier losses too, that we didn't, you know, we don't really know exactly what happened, but we got to a point where we were, it was recommended that we talk about having someone carry for us. And so we ended up deciding that that was something that we were going to do. So after the seventh loss, that's the path that we decided that we were going to, you know, we we talked about some different options and, and we decided that that was something that we were going to we were going to try. So we ended up becoming parents of twins. We had a gestational carrier, carry, our, carry the twins. So they're biologically my husband and mine, but she carried twins for us. So we ended up having boy, girl twins. What was that like having another person carry your children? Did that play into your grief at all? I would say that I was nervous the entire time. And that was a, I think that was a tricky thing because I, I wasn't able to even fully like let myself get super, super excited or so hopeful because it was kind of like, well, when is this going to, when is it going to turn out bad? The whole pregnancy, you know? And, and I think that after you go through that so many times of that roller coaster of like this extreme hope and joy followed by this like devastating grief, it's almost like you're waiting for the, when is this baby going to die? So, so that, that was a challenge for sure. That was a challenge. And we had someone to carry. So one of my best friends had offered to carry for us and we were going to do that. And actually it was, it was pretty last minute that I ended up saying, I can't, I can't have you carry, carry a baby for me. I, I said, I you know, and there, they were a couple that we were we're really good friends with still to this day and see them a lot and that kind of thing. And I, I just felt like it would be way too hard for me to see her carrying my baby and to like, for me, it it almost felt like I have to have some emotional space here. So I, I like, I couldn't, it was like, I couldn't do it when it got 
closer to the time. So we ended up having someone carry for us that had carried for one other couple in the past. And she had actually contacted the clinic and said that she had carried in the past, wanted to do it one more time. And so the clinic actually had called me and said, hey, there's someone who you know would like to carry for another couple. And we thought of you guys, would you like to meet this person? And I said, no, initially. I told Brett, I said, I, I can't, I can't even think about this. I just, I know I, I can't do it. And he actually ended up saying, well, let's just go and have a conversation. And she ended up carrying our twins for us. But at first I was very much like, I can't even go any more on this roller coaster. So that, yeah, that was a, that was a tricky thing too, for sure. Yeah. Just the whole, the whole journey of, of, you know, going through that for all those years was just a, it was a very difficult time. Sure. Did you find that, um, particularly during the miscarriage period, that it was a strain to your relationship or brought you and your husband closer together? It was a huge strain on the relationship. And it was because of how I was feeling. My husband was, he was very supportive and was there for me. You know, I feel like he was there for me as much as he could, could be, you know, but I was in so much sadness that I remember there was multiple times that I said, you know, Brett, when you get home from work, um, don't be surprised if I've taken a bag and I've just moved out because I can't handle this. Like for me, and it was, and I remember saying, I love you so much. It's not that I don't care about you, but it it was like, I felt like I have to run away from this problem. And, and I'm like, I know how much you want to have kids. So go, you need to go marry someone who can have kids and I can't. And Uh, So it was never, it was never that he was talking like that. It was a hundred percent me where I was like, I have to run, I have to run away from this problem, which wouldn't have helped. Right. The problem would have followed me anywhere. Um, But that was my thinking at the moment was I have to, I have to leave. I have to get out of here. And, you know, ultimately that ended up, and and I wish actually we would have come to this point earlier, but as time went on, and this was way toward the end of the miscarriages, but I remember Brett one day saying, you know what, we have to change our focus because this is entirely consuming us, mostly me, right? But he's like, it's really consuming. It's consuming your life so much. And he's like, we have to start setting goals together as a couple, as if we might never become parents to living children. And we have to look at what other areas of life do we really want to be working on? What can we, what else can we like, if it's not a family, like we had initially thought we would have, what else can we build together? What do we want to do together? What are some goals we can set together? And that actually was like, oh, okay. Like we're going to, we're going to, um, cause I remember having conversations around, you know, what can our life look because we don't have children, what can our life look like that would be different? Like maybe I could take some traveling physical therapy jobs and maybe we could see some, like, what can we actually do that is within our control? Right. Cause we, we were doing everything we could to change the circumstance. We couldn't change the circumstance, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't carry a baby. And so then it was like, the only thing we can change is our mindset. The only thing we can change is the way that we're thinking about this. And if I choose to look at it as, all right, we, you know, life isn't turning out like we hoped. And that really sucks. 
but what can we do because we don't have living children? Like what, what can we do? And at that point, then we started looking at, Hey, we want to travel to all 50 States together. So we're on like 30 some now we want to invest in real estate together and renovate some houses together. Like we started actually dreaming together of other things. And that was like, Oh, like that was when I felt like our marriage was going to be okay. Wow. Do you feel like for him, I don't know if he's commented about this, but it almost felt like a piece of tough love for you as a unit and recognizing that he needed to kind of come and provide some uh, a pivot in terms of how he was providing support for you in a way. Possibly. Yeah, that very well could have been. It, it very well could have been some tough love and it very well could have been his um, his thoughts on, you know, if, if you hear, if you hear your wife saying, Hey, when you get home from work, I might be packed up and moved out. It might've been like, okay, we're going to try this. Like, yeah. you know, his hail Mary pass. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know where that, where that thought came from that he had, but that ended up being something that drastically helped where then we started, started dreaming about some other things and saying, okay, you know, ultimately, yes, we're still sad that we're that we're going through these losses, but we have to focus on some other things so that we can move ahead and not feel you know, like we have to write a new story, right? We have to look at, okay, this is the new normal. Here we are. We didn't want to be here. It sucks, but this is where we're at. And how can we write a new chapter in this story and make it one that we actually are excited about? Instead of, mm -hmm. instead of looking ahead and feeling like, man, my dreams for life are crushed and I'm devastated. I have to look ahead and say, I'm going to build different dreams than I initially thought, but they're going to be there. And looking back, you know, I, I kind of felt too, like what I remember when I went to college, I was looking at medicine um, and I thought I want to go to medical school. And then I ended up thinking, you know what? I want to do something. I, I shadowed a bunch of different, um, you know, medical professionals and ended up thinking, you know what? If I go into PT, I get to be with patients a lot. And I love being with patients. And then I have like a work-life balance that I would really like to have because someday I want to be a wife and a mom. Like that was, that was a huge decision into what the, the profession that I chose. So then here I am, you know, years later, trying, trying to, trying to have a baby going, did I pick the wrong career? Did I do like, just, it, so it was like, became super, super restless in multiple areas of life. Interesting. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I think that's really helpful for people to hear. And I really appreciate that honesty, Carrie. Thank you. Yes. E even within physical therapy, I remember too, shortly after we got married, I went out to Cape Cod and I did some continuing ed courses under um, Elizabeth Noble, who was the founder of the um, women's health section of the American Physical Therapy Association, like this amazing know, brilliant mind, because my thought was I'm going to do a you know, prenatal postpartum physical therapy. Like I'm going to start a, a prenatal exercise thing and I'm going to do this and this and this, and I'm going to specialize in women's health and it's going to be awesome. So I went out to Cape Cod and stayed at her like beautiful home, did continuing ed for a while, came back. And then when I started having these pregnancy losses, I couldn't do it. I didn't do it. I'm like, I, the last thing that I want to do is go lead an exercise class for women who are pregnant, whose backs hurt. And I'm like, I would give anything to have your back pain right now. 
right? I mean, it, it was like, I can't even, I can't even go down that road. So, so that affected my career too. Absolutely. It's so real. It, it is so real. It is yeah. so real. Yep. So I had read in your bio that you ended up having three children total in under two years. You want to share that piece of the story? Sure. So with Henry and Brynn, so those are our twins. So they were, yep, they were carried by a gestational carrier to full term. Um, and about a week before they turned one, I said to Brett, I think I'm pregnant. And so very quickly ended up, you know, going to maternal fetal medicine again and visiting. And they were talking about, you know, the, like the percentage chance that they felt I, I had of carrying that baby to full term. And as I'm sitting there talking to them, I said, are you aware, does it say in my chart, like, are you aware that I, I now have, you know, twins? And he said, oh, well, this is, this baby's going to be fine. <laughs> and I, and I was like, well, wait. And, and he goes, no, he goes, I actually give you a 70% chance of carrying this baby to full term. He goes, because you're not super stressed out anymore because, and, and so that's what he was talking about is stress levels and, and those kind of different things. But yeah, with Hallie, then I ended up, she was premature. She had some, some issues that she has now outgrown, but that was a, that was a difficult, it was a difficult pregnancy, but I did carry her. And so her name Hallie is short for hallelujah. And it actually means unexpected gift. So ended up with a three, three under 19 months. Yeah. They're all, they're all happy, healthy kids. That's amazing. When you were carrying Hallie, did you have some of those same feelings when you, your gestational carrier was pregnant with your twins, that fear of something bad is going to happen? Or were you able to enjoy parts of your pregnancy? Parts of it, I really did enjoy. So like with the other, with the pregnancy losses, I never had gotten to the point where I could actually feel the baby kick. So there were certain points of the pregnancy that I was like, wow, like just really like savoring and enjoying, but they were actually, when I was 20 weeks along, they found I had a, a choreoangioma, so I did a, like a vascular tumor in the placenta. And they said, you know, like a lot of times these stay really small. They, there's just kind of something we watched, but mine grew to be fist size. So I ended up from then on three times a week was at maternal fetal medicine. You know, they would do Dopplers and they would look at like umbilical cord blood flow and then blood flow in her brain. And I had an umbilical cord. I had a blood transfusion because they felt at one point, like she wasn't, they didn't know if she was getting enough blood flow. So I ended up in the hospital for that kind of stuff. And I, as the weeks went on with that, I ended up just feeling like so on edge, like, oh my gosh, this baby needs to get bigger as fast as possible and get out of my body where she's actually going to be more safe. Like it was, that was those end from that 20 weeks until um, she was born at 34 weeks, six days. So for those like 14, you know, almost 15 weeks, that would got to be very that got to be really hard. And that was another time then with work that it was like, okay, I'm going three times a week right now. So you're just, you're very, very busy with that. And then coming back to work and you know, like putting your smile on your face and, and really truly being 100% patient care focused and treating, treating my patients really, really well. And then late at night worrying and then like feeling, is she still kicking? Is she still moving? Is, is she okay? Is she not okay? Um, so that, that was a really, that was a big challenge. Sure. Now I know that you have made some pivots in your career 
Are you still working in the clinical setting as a physical therapist or have you left that arena at this point in time? So I still see some patients on my own, which has been really fun. I worked as an adjunct professor for four years, teaching a course on leadership and professional communication. So that was fun. But I actually started in 2015, I started doing some coaching and I started working with a lot of different high achievers who were feeling like they wanted to have a great career and also a really happy, fulfilling personal life. And that was, that was actually something that I got into after the twins and Hallie were born. And I said, man, you know, here's these long awaited babies that I've waited for and prayed for and hoped for, for so many years, they're finally here. And I've got to figure out how to have my version of having it all. Like, I want to be a super present parent. I want to love like being their mom and be full of energy and life and just savor all these amazing moments that I've wanted forever. And I also want to reach really big career goals. And, and I want to, I want to figure out how to actually have both. I want to feel out, figure out how to juggle both of those areas in a way that feels good in a way that doesn't burn me out in a way that I really love, and I can do the work that lights me up and also be the mom that I want to be. So at that point in time, I started studying people who um, were these, you know, what I considered world-class peak performers that, that were reaching big, big goals and, and managing multiple things and actually seemed happy, started studying different, different habits, started studying all kinds of things. And the first thing that I started playing around with was my morning routine um, I started figuring out that every single really happy peak performer that I studied had a very specific morning routine. And mine at the time was, you know, looking at my alarm clock and figuring out how tired I was and that the kids were going to be up in two minutes um, ready for breakfast. But I said, I said, I need to have something a little more, a, a little more energizing in the morning. So I started studying all kinds of different morning routines and different habits and ended up creating my own morning routine, which I call mornings that matter. And I started, it, it changed my life. It helped me start feeling more energetic and alive and excited in the morning and more focused and intentional. After that helped me so much, eventually I started teaching it to other people. And then they would come back and they, a few months later and they'd be like, man, I, I learned this morning routine from you. And now I wrote the book I've been meaning to write, or I, I learned their morning routine. And now my kids are, I talked to my kids and they're feeling more confident at school. And they would come back and tell me these stories. So eventually I started teaching it to more and more people. So now I've taught it to people from over 70 countries and I speak on mornings that matter. And, and that's one of the things that I do now is coaching and training around how can you live your, you know, and for me, it, it starts with the first 10 minutes of your day. Um, but in general, how can you live your most intentional, fulfilling life as a high achiever who wants to have a great career wants to have a great personal life and wants to figure out how to, how to balance that without burning out. So I coach a lot of people in, in the healthcare field um, who have these really big career goals and they want to accomplish exactly that. Wow. So I'm guessing that for somebody listening to this podcast would be curious to find out what your morning routine looks like after having losses, becoming a mom and making this shift in your career, what does your morning look like now? So I actually have, there's 
a little document that I created that I read in the morning. And, and that's really about um, where I want to go, who I want to be. And then I go into this mornings that matter morning routine, which I do have a free training on too, if anyone is interested in, in listening oh. to the, the training on it. So the, the mor- mornings that matter, there's five little parts to it. So, it, and it's, it can all be done even laying in bed or next to your bed um, in those first few minutes of the day. But it, there's, there's some mindset stuff. There's a couple physical things in there. It's the, the whole purpose of it is to help you start your day being very present, purpose-driven, um, feeling powerful. Like you can, you, you can feel unstoppable. Like you can conquer what's ahead of you and be, be focused and intentional. Wow. And how long does it take you about 10 minutes each morning? 10 minutes. Yep. Mornings that matter is 10 minutes. Sounds like a great investment that pays dividends throughout the entire day. Yes, it does. And like the first part, gratitude is actually the first part of it. Um, it spells get up. Gratitude is the first part. And it's, you know, there's so many amazing things when you read studies about gratitude, about what it, what it just does to your brain and body. And, but it's, it's starting the day focused on looking intentionally for the good that you have going on in your life. And it's like just that alone can, especially when you're going through, you know, the things that, that you're talking about here on your podcast, right? You're going through those really difficult times in life. I always feel like when I, when I speak about gratitude, I, I'm always careful to say that I don't, you know, I, I don't see gratitude as being Pollyanna. I don't see it as, oh, like just pretend everything's okay and just go be positive. But in, in reality, if we can intentionally train our brain to see the good and find the good when we need that the most is when we are in the middle of difficult converse or difficult situations. Right. And it's, it's not putting our heads in the sand and pretending nothing bad ever happens. That's not what it is. Instead, it's saying, man, there, there is good going on right now and training your brain to find those things so that you can move forward in a way that feels okay. And so there's times in my life that if I'm going through something difficult, the gratitude practice, you know, again, it's not pretending that's not happening, but the gratitude practice can be, man, you know what? I'm so grateful that I have good friends that I can talk to about this situation. I'm so grateful that I have the strength to make it through this day. I'm so grateful that, you know, hopefully I'll never have to go through that again. You know, it it can be things, it's not fake positivity, right? But it's, it, it can be a very awesome way to, to cope with things and, and move forward and find that strength to get through those difficult times. Yes. And I think too, it's important um, that people understand that two emotions can coexist. So you can have a moment of gratitude and still be sad that you don't have your baby in your arms. And those two things can coexist and having moments of gratitude can help support your grieving at the same time. Yes. And I think that's such an important point that you just pointed out. You're right. I mean, things can coexist and it doesn't have to be all one or the other, but they can both work together to help you get to where where you want to go and to deal with things in a, in a healthy way, you know, looking back at when I was going through all my miscarriages and fertility, I don't feel like, I don't feel like I had the skill set mindset wise to, to deal with things in a healthy way. I mean, I'm, I'm going to pack my suitcase, Brett, and I'm out of here. I'm going to run away. Like that's not exactly a good uh, idea. Right. 
but now, you know, I, I love studying mindset, high performance, all those types of things. So I'm like, man, if I, if I knew the things that I did now back then, it would have, you know, it, it would have made me able to handle the turbulence in a better way, I think. Yes. Because you went and worked with a therapist and now you are in the coaching phase of life, could you just comment a little bit for somebody who is new to both uh, working with a therapist or a psychologist as well as coaching and how you look at what is the right fit at different points in time? Do you have any thoughts about that? Yes. So one of the things, and, and one of the things too, is in one of the clinics that I used to doctor at for infertility, they'll, they'll call me now when, when someone is having emotional, you know, dealing with the emotional side and want someone to talk to. And I'll, I'll, I have coaching that I'll do too. But one of the things I, I tell people is I'm not a mental health therapist. I'm a coach. So I, I'm looking at it from a, from a little bit different perspective. I, I look at coaching as let's look at where you are and where you are now. Let's look at where you would like to go. And then how can we help you to get there, right? Versus, okay, I'm going to diagnose you with, this is the specific issue that you have. And we're going to, you know, talk through and kind of sort through all the things that you have been going through um, in the past or now. I look at coaching as more, at least, at least from the perspective of what I do as, okay, here you are, here's what you've been through and here's where you are. How can you, how can you show up and live your most purpose-driven, authentic, intentional life and, and build a life that feels good and it feels like you're rising into your potential, even though you've been through this and this and this, how can we create a new normal? Where do you want to go from here? How can you develop um, positive habits to help you move forward in a way that it feels good and healthy? So I look at it from from that perspective versus kind of working through or processing all of the the grief. Does that make sense? Definitely makes sense. I think too, working with a psychologist or a therapist, sometimes they are able to pull things that happened in your childhood or your early adult life that play into how you grieve. And so understanding Mm -hmm. where you came from in your past and how that plays into where you are today. I think sometimes that can be really helpful and they're good at teasing out the past stuff. And so I kind of look at it from that point of view in terms of coaching is figuring out where you want to go from here and the systems and habits that you want to establish. Yes. I would say that totally makes sense. I think both can be helpful when it comes to how can you make decisions about building a good future? You know, I I think Mm -hmm. there's, and even now, like when I, when I work with clients, there's clients that I have that are, they're going through coaching and they also are in therapy for different Mm -hmm. things. Right. And again, I always say, Hey, I'm a coach. I'm not a therapist. And that, that is, that's, it's a different, it's a different scope of, of work. But there have been people too in the past that, you know, I'll get on a discovery call with them because they're interested in coaching. And as they're talking with me, I'm like, you know what? I really think just by the things that you're telling me, I would like you to go see somebody different. Like, I think that you should start, you know, more that mental health, you know, psychology type of or counseling type of realm right now. Yes. And I think sometimes um, you, you know, if they had met with you now, and you guys determined that you were not the right fit now, that doesn't mean that once they dealt with some of the past issues, you wouldn't be a right fit 
in the future. And I think it's just kind of trial and error. I think grieving a lot is a lot of trial and error. The, the one universal truth about grieving is everybody has their own unique path. And the only person who can figure out is that, you know, that path is the in individual. So yes. trying to figure out what the is going to be the best support, whether it's going to a group support you know, organization for bereaved parents versus doing something individually versus reading a book about yes. grieving, yep. that sort of thing. You just kind of have to figure it out, try it on for size. And if it doesn't work, move on to the next thing until you figure out what works best. Yes. And you know what, when you're saying that too, it, it's like, yeah. And one thing that you, that helped at one point, you might need something different at the next stage of your grief and also giving yourself the freedom and permission to go through that like hope and grief cycle on your own timeline and let it be, you know, let it be what it is. Um, I remember in, when I was going through the, all those miscarriages, it, I was at the time of, of life where all of my friends were having babies. Right. And I ended up figuring out cause I was going to baby shower after baby shower. And I was like, I, I can't even hardly walk past the baby aisle and target at that point in time without crying. Um, so I remember figuring out if I offer to throw the shower or if I'm helping, like if I'm helping like in the kitchen and like making the food and I'll stuff with a couple friends, I don't have to sit out in the living room and talk about the baby and I can like work and focus and be there and be ex like be excited for my friend, but yet not get into these long conversations, you know? So it's like, Oh, and, and I, so I would find things like that where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to give myself permission to, to do this a little bit different and to be like, just to find those things that work for you because you can have hope and life can feel better than it does at the moment. But it, it's really about it, you know, individually finding this is what works for me. And this is what I'm going to do just to take care of myself. Cause I think as healthcare providers, that's something that's really hard. It's hard. It's hard to take the time to care for ourselves. Um, and even, you know, mentally, I think just being in that caregiver mode where you're just a, a giving helpful person, you know, a lot of people go into those healthcare careers because they want to help and make a difference. And, and so it's like, you're continually pouring into others um, and, and working and, and helping others. But when you take the time to say, okay, what can I do today to help myself feel a little better? How can I feel a little more hopeful? How can I feel a little more healthy? How can I do something intentional? That future me would be happy that I did today. And giving yourself the permission to let that look like whatever it looks like for you and know that your journey might be different than someone else's. I think too, in most training programs, conversations about self-care and boundaries are not part of the curriculum. And it's not something we learn in our clinical training. And it isn't until something devastating, like having a pregnancy or infant loss, that you are forced to start realizing that you need to develop those skills. And I think it is a skill set that can mm -hmm. be learned by anybody yeah. who chooses to having somebody help you learn that skill set, just like when you were, you know, in physical therapy school and you were trying to learn how to, you know, manipulate a frozen shoulder or what have you, yeah. you know, like it was something you had to learn. And I think that self-care and that ability to give ourselves permission is a skill that sometimes you need to hire somebody to help you learn. Yes. I a hundred percent agree. Yep. And it's okay to say, man, I never learned that. 
And now I'm right. finding I'm in a place I got, I got to figure this out. You know, yep. it's okay. We all learn things at different times and there's not a right yep. or wrong time. Just giving yourself a little bit of grace and being gentle with yourself, I think is really important. Yes, I agree. So mm-hmm. Carrie, I think that there are so many points in this conversation where somebody who is listening to this would really connect with you. And if they're coming to the end of this podcast, feeling like, man, she's got some tools in her toolbox that I would like to learn. What is the best way to have a discovery call with you or get in touch with you so that I can pop it in the show notes to help people find you? So my website, it's www.carriepetsinger.com and they can actually even message right through my website. I will put that in the show notes. Is there anything that is just heavy on your heart or light in your mind that you would like to share as we bring this conversation to a close? I would say, give yourself, give yourself the permission and freedom to go through your journey on your own timeline, on your own pace, and to, to navigate that in a way that works for you. And no matter what that looks like, you know, like Amy mentioned, you know, whether it looks like therapy or whether it looks like, Hey, there's this book that can help or whether it's coaching or whether it's taking the long walks or whether it's whatever it is that, that you need to do, but give yourself the space to grieve, give yourself the freedom to hope and dream about the future too. And know that those things can coincide. You can have big dreams and hopes for the future while you're also, also grieving about what you're currently going through and just give yourself the grace because that's a, when you're in the middle of, of trying to build your family in a certain way and there's grief that, you know, interrupts that it's a really, it feels like an awful roller coaster and you never know when it's going to hit, right? You never know when those highs or lows are going to, going to be there. So, so giving yourself some space and permission to just go through that process, I think is really important. I think that in those healthcare professions, I think a lot of us are really kind of that, you know, that, that type A and here's the plan. And this is the, here's the algorithm. Here's the protocol. Here's what I'm going to follow. If I do A, B, and C, this is the result I'm going to get. If I don't, this is the result I'm going to get. You know, there's a lot of really awesome scientific things that happen. And then when things happen in your life that aren't in our control, it can be really hard. Right. And, and I remember, I do remember feeling like prior to the baby issues, I kind of felt like whatever it was that I wanted in my life, if I would just work hard and focus, I could make it happen. And so that was really, this was really the first time in life that I felt like, whoa, I'm doing everything that I feel like I can do. It's not turning out my way. How do I even deal with this? So I I remember that, you know, just kind of being, kind of being a controlling (laughs) type A personality, like, well, I'm following the plan. Why isn't this happening? So being able to recognize that you've got to give yourself the space and permission to just go through that and that you might have emotions that feel out of control. You might have things that feel like they're not feeling better fast enough. Just know that that's part of, that's part of the journey and there is hope life can feel better than it does at at the moment, but giving yourself the permission and and space to go through that on your own timeline. I think that is 
an amazing way to look at all of this and such a message of hope. And I can't thank you enough for your honesty, for sharing this conversation. And I truly believe that your babies live on in this moment that we are here together and will continue to impact people in a way that you didn't intend. And when you got pregnant, that was not the narrative you wrote, but their lives are continuing to live on. And for that, I want to thank you and your entire family and everything that you've shared today. Thank you very much. You're welcome. My pleasure. I really appreciate Carrie's openness and honesty in this conversation. In the midst of grief, sometimes it's hard to figure out what the next step is to take or to feel like you have a choice in your journey forward. I hope Carrie's story provides at least a little glimmer of hope to those of you who are struggling right now. For those of you who really connected with Carrie's story and may want to work with her, her website is carriepetzinger.com. I put a link to it in the show notes. She said that's the easiest way to find her if you want to work with her or talk with her. Also, if you would like to speak with other healthcare professionals who are grieving after pregnancy or infant loss, the virtual support group is the second Monday of every month at 7.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. There is a link in the show notes if you would like to be a part of that group. You will receive a Zoom link and some weekly updates. If you would like to support this podcast or the work being done here at Pause Remember, there are multiple ways you can do that. You can go to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review for this podcast. Your feedback is very much appreciated. Please share this podcast, the virtual support group, or any other information that you find from Pause to Remember on your social media, directly with friends and colleagues, maybe even send it out in an email to somebody that you think would benefit from this. In the show notes, you will find a free ebook and opportunity to join the Pause to Remember email list where you will receive updates weekly. Finally, if you would like to donate to the Pause to Remember podcast or virtual support group, there is a link below called Buy a Latte. Thank you again for being here. I look forward to sharing more with you next week on the Pause to Remember podcast. <music>